Welcome, adventurers. In a temple in the Gimlin Woods lies a mysterious object, called the heart by those that protect it. It has changed the course of history before, and it will again. Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon An apologetic Erdrith had met Esmeray in the clearing, explaining with all the excitement and duties for the New Year's celebrations he had neglected to spread wider word of her possible arrival. Dismissing his platitudes with a few uncaring words, Esmeray asked if she might have a tour of Sisti Tamhain and hear about how her donations were being put to good use. Erdrith had quickly agreed and brought her through the wood doors and under the stone arch, under the hill itself. Through the antechamber they passed, and then through the Hall of Stars, ending in the Great Hall. Here Erdrith spoke of the celebration they had just had, the largest the Creus Dionadere had hosted yet. He gestured to the northeast of the hall. We have added four more chambers to the residence hall there, in large part thanks to you. They turned and strolled toward the south of the hall. The kitchens have been expanded as well, with more chambers for those members who are on cooking duty. As they reached the far south of the hall, Erdrith stopped at a set of large doors. But this is what we have been saving much of your most generous contributions for. He swung the doors wide open to reveal a hallway. Five feet in width, it progressed about twenty feet before ending in exposed dirt and rock. Esmeray poked her head just inside the door to see if there was something she was missing before turning her gaze upon Erdrith eyes drawn into a look of impatience. Erdrith smiled and let out a chuckle. Not much now, but this is the beginning of the biggest expansion yet. We are adding an entire second great hall. Work will begin soon, and that is all thanks to your generosity. There was a silence. Erdrith's face took on a quizzical look. We are most thankful for all of your support. I wonder... If you might indulge an old man with a curiosity. Esmeray remained silent, but raised an eyebrow. Erdrith took this as a permission and asked, All these years you have remained anonymous, only now revealing your identity, only now visiting. May I ask why? Where she had looked on in interest to begin with, as the question became clear, her face turned to disinterest, eyes looking away. I am a very busy person with many interests in many different parts of the world. She turned and began walking away in mid-sentence, leaving Erdrith to hurriedly follow. It is only prudent that not all know of my various dealings. Esmeray was walking at her full, long-legged strides toward the middle of the western wall of the hall. Erdrith had to hurry just to stay behind her. The wizard's statement brought a sense of unease to him. He had more questions, but Esmeray did not slow. If anything, she picked up her pace, ensuring he remained a pace behind. 
she headed unerringly toward the door in the west wall. Arriving, she swung the door open and passed through, without waiting for Erdrith. Four long strides brought her into the room. It was a circular chamber. Its roof, unlike the other rooms they had been in, was dome-shaped, with a stone chimney that led upward from its center. Below the chimney on the floor was a small circular dais. In the center of that was a stone pedestal, waist-high, carved to look like intertwined vines. Esmeralda looked to the dais, eyes lingering for a moment, and then around the chamber. Erdrith finally caught up. Excuse me, Esmeralda, you are a welcome guest, but this room is not meant for the eyes of all. This is a sacred place, and only sworn members of the Kriest Deonidaire should be here. Not entirely accurate. Esmeray mumbled to herself before turning again and making her way back into the hall. When she had passed through the hall and just out of the entry doors to the great hall, she turned abruptly. Erdrith almost crashed into her. Red-faced and flustered, Erdrith regained his footing. Lady Esmeray, your behavior is most unsettling. Esmeray drew herself to her full height. Emerald gaze staring down on Erdrith. I was wondering if I might see the heart. Erdrith moved from flustered to dumbfounded. He stared, mouth agape. How do you know about the... I have my ways. The roads of the arcane arts lead to many places. Erdrith finally recovered, gathering his wits, calming himself with a breath. I know not how you came upon knowledge of the heart, but I must most emphatically state that the heart can never be viewed by any other than the Crieste on Adare. Esmeray narrowed her eyes, the corner of one side of her mouth drawing into a smirk. Now I know that to be untrue. There was an awkward pause, and then her form softened, face drawing into the most inviting smile. First conciliator, Erdrith. I must apologize for my erratic behavior. I truly am a fervent supporter of your order. I do not wish for this bumpy beginning to define the remainder of our relationship. Erdrith looked uncomfortable, but relaxed some. I am willing to look past this for the sake of the future. Esmeray's smile widened. So gracious of you. So politic. Now surely you could see your way to show your biggest benefactor a glimpse, just a glimpse of this most wondrous heart. Erdrith's cheeks flushed. He went stiff as a stone. No. Though the smile remained on Esmeray's lips, her eyes went ice cold. I see. She extended her hand toward Erdrith. On the eve of the solstice, a great celebration took place in the clearing before the temple. A wicker effigy was burned on a large bonfire, a symbol of change and a reminder to let go of the past, that we are born anew in the new year. On any other day, Ergul would have been most taken with the celebration, but caught up in the anticipation of the night, it passed in a blur. 
she readied herself early for bed and then lay on her cot, unsleeping, for bells, until at last a shadowy figure appeared at the entrance to the tent. A druid in dark green robes, face hidden in a cowl, approached. Ergul sat up, slipping her feet into soft leather shoes. The druid stopped and then silently motioned for her to follow. They passed through the clearing, where despite the late hour, many revelers were still awake. They proceeded to the doors of the temple, which unlike every day leading up to now, were closed. The robed figure made a small gesture, and the doors opened just enough to let them in. They entered, the druid walking straight on. Ergul did not turn, but the doors closed behind them. They passed through the antechamber and then into the hall with the diagrams of the stars. Every other time she had been in the temple, it had been warmly lit with torchlight. Now it was completely dark, but the diagrams on the wall glowed with a faint light. The silver and gold metal had become luminescent blue, yellow, and red. Once again, Ergul had the yearning to stay. Once again, they didn't. The main hall was pitch black. All she could see was directly ahead, from the center of the west wall, was a pulsing green light. Here, the druid before her stopped, indicating with a touch that she should take the lead. Fear trickled into Ergul, but she did not show it. She walked straight ahead toward the light. It grew as she approached. As it pulsed, she could almost feel it. Ten more paces and she entered a chamber. Again, Ergul heard a door close behind her. She had entered a circular chamber. Its roof, unlike the other rooms they had been in, was a dome shape. At each of the cardinal directions stood a druid, green-robed and face hidden by cowls. Halfway between the cardinal directions stood one more druid, making a total of eight. One last druid stood near the center of the room and a small circular dais. On the dais was a stone pedestal, waist-high, carved to look like intertwined vines. Atop the pedestal was the source of the pulsing light. It was a massive green gemstone, the size of two large fists held together, generally the shape of an egg. The stone had been expertly cut and must have had a hundred facets or more on its face. Surrounding and cradling the gem were vines that covered it in a living net. Delicate and beautiful leaves sprouted forth from the vine. Standing this close to the stone, the light was more of a physical experience. With each pulse, Ergul could feel the pressure in her ears. Hear a low thrum, and the light warmed her skin. After ten pulses, she realized the pulsing matched the rhythm of her heart. Ten pulses after that, she realized, though she was not quite sure how, that the pulsing matched the heartbeats of all present in the room. All of their hearts beat as one. The pulsing stone held her gaze fast. She neither moved nor looked as the druid beside the pedestal spoke. Ergul Abbas, will you open yourself to the heart to see if you shall stand as Creus down a dare in this life? I will, 
If you submit to the heart, you must swear an oath never to speak of what happens in this room. For as long as you live, by the power of the nine who stand with you, and by the power of the heart, you will be magically bound to this oath. Will you swear such an oath? I, Ergol Abbas, swear to never speak of what happens in this room for as long as I live. She felt an odd sensation for a moment, a tickle in her throat, a pressure in her brain. When it passed, the eight druids began to chant. The druid beside the heart drew down his hood. It was the elderly druid with white-streaked black hair she had first met at the table in the hall. The druid she had since found out was first conciliator Erdrith, head of the Creus Theonander. Step forward, Ergul, and place your hand upon the heart. A step, a pulse of green light, a step. Erdrith began to chant as well. A step, a pulse of green light, a step. Erdrith began to circle around the room in a clockwise direction. Ergul reached out her hand. A pulse of green light, and she was no more. She was many things. She was many places. As Esmeray began to chant, Erdrith started to back up, made to call out, but it was too late. A blinding flash of shimmering multicolored light burst forth from her hand, and they were trapped within a brilliant sphere. The sphere was centered in the door leading out of the great hall, trapping all in the temple, within, and barring all outside from entrance. Esmeré looked at Erdrith and said, I'll be back in a moment for you, my dear, and then turned, passing through the wall of light toward the temple entrance. Just outside the sphere, Esmeré's form shifted, taking on Erdrith's appearance. Then, in a perfect imitation of Erdrith's voice, To me, we have been betrayed. The wizard is attacking the temple. She has trapped herself within. The heart is in danger. It was only a few beats before druids began to pour into the temple. Esmeré held up a hand. Stay back or risk blindness. Is that everyone? We will need our full strength to take on this one. The gathered looked around, naming five more who were not there. Let us wait for them. A bar later, all were accounted for. Bar the door. She cannot be allowed to escape. The door was barred. Everyone prepare. I will defeat this magic. She faced the brilliant sphere and began to chant. There was a tense sense of readiness. At the last second, Esmeray spun, fire streaming forth, engulfing the twenty-some druids trapped in the Hall of Stars in the antechamber. Within, Erdrith paced. What could he do? What could he do? He must protect the heart, no matter the cost. He went to the edge of the sphere, closed his eyes, and ran forward. He began to scream in agony, body burning from fire, skin sizzling with acid.
Nikul burst from the temple, tears streaming down her face. She ran to the tent, screaming, Father! Father! The blanket stirred, her bleary-eyed parents sitting bolt upright in fear. An attendant burst in, dagger in hand. Ergul, are you hurt? Her mother called, struggling to pull on a robe. I am not hurt. I want to leave this vile place. What are you on about? Her mother replied, tying the sash on her robe. Ergul stomped her foot, fists clenched, ignoring her mother and looking to her father. I want to leave now, father. Now! What has happened? Her father said, voice already taking on the same tone of indignation as Ergul's. Ergul's face grew icy, teeth clenched. She didn't speak. In this moment of silence, the short squat druid pushed her way into the tent, huffing out labored breaths. Ergul, my child, don't leave this way. She came to Ergul, trying to hold her hand. Ergul pulled it away, shouting, Get out of my tent! The decisions that are made in the temple are difficult ones, but they are always for the best. When the... The druid paused here to point to her chest, where her heart was. Looked inside you, it saw great power, great potential. Just because you will not be Kree-Esteana there does not mean you cannot do great things. Does not mean you cannot be a friend to nature, to protect the living. I wish for us to still be friends, young one, so I might see the great things you do. Ergul listened with a malevolent stare, and when the druid finished speaking, Ergul slapped her hard across the face and then spat upon her. I will never be friends with the likes of you. Ergul's mother's eyes went wide with shock. Ergul, Esmere, Abbas, what is the matter with you? Apologize. Ergul turned. I will not. I want to leave, father, now. Her father turned to the attendant. You heard her. Wake the others. We are leaving. By the time they left, pre-dawn light hung in the sky. Her mother was furious, but had fallen silent. As they walked out of the clearing, her father held his hand around her shoulders. These ridiculous tree lovers do not realize the mistake they have made. They will regret turning away the daughter of Aburaba in Farm Abbas. I will send out letters as soon as we are home. We will get you into the finest arcane school in Borjin, or Jamato even. There is more than one road to harness the power of magic. Erdrith stumbled into his office. A tall, slender woman with iron-gray hair was there, eyes wide. Bellissim, his first steward. First conciliator, let me heal you. Erdrith shooed her away. There is no time. Be quiet and listen. The fate of everything is on you now. Erdrith reached into his robes and pulled forth a silver amulet with a green stone set in the center. In the silver surrounding the green stone were stamped onagum. He pulled it over his head and shoved it into Bellissom's hand. Take this and the ring you wear and escape. Up the chimney in the heart chamber, 
Run, and never use the name Cries de Honadere again. You must separate the ring and the amulet and hide them. No one must ever know what they do. This is your life's work now. The Cries de Honadere have died this day. But we may yet protect the forest. Protect life itself. Footsteps echoed in the hall. Erdrith, where are you? Erdrith looked at Bellisim and nodded. Tears ran down her cheeks. Now, Erdrith said. Bellisim vanished. A moth fluttered in the air for a moment, and then into the dark hall. Esmeray was quite pleased. There may be a stray Crieste on a dare or two left in the woods, but no matter. She would have the heart soon, and then little could stop her. She had been in all the other chambers of the temple, eliminated all the other druids. Erdrith could only be down this last hall. As she turned the last corner, she could see into an office of sorts. Erdrith sat slumped behind a large wood desk. There he was. She took long, quick strides toward him. Her passing startled a moth near a torch at the end of the hall. It fluttered up to the ceiling and away behind her. As she entered the office, she looked about. Doors to a sleeping chamber and a study led from the office. She looked to him. Passable accommodations, but rather dreary for one of such a high station. Esmeray said conversationally, I must admit you surprised me some back there. Walking through the prismatic sphere, that was quite unexpected. But here we stand all the same. We can exchange pleasantries for as long as you wish. But this will end the same either way, with you telling me where the heart is. And if you don't, I know it is here somewhere. You have used it to test the novices. Even in his battered state, Erdrith did take on an expression of curiosity. Who do you know? Have you corrupted one of my druids? An eerie cackle escaped Esmeray's lips. What's the matter? Don't you recognize Ergul Abbas any longer? There was a searching in his eyes and then a look of shock. I swore an oath never to speak of what happened in that room, but it didn't mean I could not do my own study on the subject. Doesn't mean I can't come back to claim the very creation of Purgat Buckluff, the defiler. Erdrith swallowed, already pale face, getting paler. Esmeray cackled again. So what do you say? Shall we do this the easy way? I may even let you live for a bit. The easy way. Yes, Erdrith said, slumping tiredly into his chair. I'm sure a woman of your power has a spell to verify the next words I say are true. Esmeray's face drew into seriousness, a look of suspicion in her eyes. Go ahead. I will not resist, Erdrith said. Esmeray began to chant. Erdrith's eyes glassed over. Esmeray sent the thought through her mind. You will answer my questions truthfully. Erdrith gave a dull nod. Is the heart inside this temple? Yes. Is it hidden? 
Yes. Where? Erdrith pointed to his study. In a secret chamber, just that side of my study. You will show me how to open this door. A smile came to his face. I will show you how, but I cannot open it. What do you mean, cannot? I mean, I cannot. The chamber that holds the heart was the first thing built under this hill, by the founders of the Creus Deon and Air, over five hundred years ago. They formed a circle of thirteen, and under the power of a full moon, they performed a ritual that has been lost to time. It was never written down, and never passed on. The chamber was sealed, the walls around it unbreakable by any force, by any magic. It is sealed and warded against dimensional travel. When locked, it is impenetrable, in every sense of the word. But it must have a key, then. Where is the key? I do not know. I gave it to someone and told them to leave, to never come back, to never mention their Creus Deonidaire again. They are to take the key and hide it. And I, I know not where. Old as I am, it is hard for me to judge age. But you are in your late thirties. Forty, maybe. So the clock begins now. I doubt you will find it in the fifty or so years you have remaining. Tell me the name of who you gave it to. Describe them to me. Erdrith smiled. No. Angered as she was, she failed to notice the spell ending. She made to recast it, but Erdrith's fingers were moving already, and he vanished from sight. Esmeray let out a feral scream, and then yelled into the chamber. You have not defeated me. The roads of the arcane lead many places. Ergul Esmeray Abbas will not be stopped, not even by death. I will hold the heart in my hands. Have we just witnessed the end of Esmeray's story, or the beginning? Here ends Season 3. Stay tuned next week to see how the rules of Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition interacted with the stories of Season 3. If you went to a D&D school, would the words before it be old? Want to listen to something that's different, part storytelling, part game? Check this out. Are you looking for a D&D podcast for the dark side? Something more like Game of Thrones and less like Monty Python? Tale of the Manticore is part dark fantasy audio drama, part solo D&D RPG. There's no plot armor here. The dice make all the important decisions. Join me as I resurrect the excitement, wonder, and emotion of old-school D&D. Made for a mature audience, Tale of the Manticore is both a fiction and a game. It's the story where chaos rolls. <laughs>